Everyone has questions. Why am I here? Where will I go when I die? Is there really truth? But not everyone has biblical answers. Welcome to The Pastor Study, a ministry of pastorstudy.org. Join us now as we study the Bible to draw closer to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Here is Pastor Tom Brock. Welcome to The Pastor's Study. For this half hour, we're going to talk about two of the most important, glorious words in the Bible, redemption and adoption. When you say to somebody, Jesus is my redeemer, do you know what you're saying? Well, that's, that's the sermon on the show today, redemption and adoption. Would you take out your Bible, or you can just do it, because I'm gonna ask you to memorize a verse with me now. Galatians chapter 4. Get your Bible out or we'll do it on, on the air here. But can you say these words after me? Galatians 4 4. But when the fullness of time had come, would you say those words out loud? God sent forth his son. Born of a woman. Born under the law. That he might redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. Can you say the whole thing? Here we go, Galatians 4.4. 4. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, in order that he might redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. Our sermon now is to go phrase by phrase through that very important verse. Let's pray. Father, we pray for those that are watching this show that do not yet know Jesus as their Redeemer. And we ask, Holy Spirit, that you would come and create faith in their hearts and bring them to Christ. And Lord, some people are watching that have been Christians for most of their lives. We pray that you will just help each of us be re-enthused by the fact that we have a Redeemer. So teach us, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Galatians 4.4 starts out, but when the fullness of time had come, let's stop there. That means when everything was just right, Jesus came. Well, when what was just right? Well, you know, you study this, and two, scholars believe two things probably are going on here. Number one, when the Old Testament law had done its job, Jesus came. The Old Testament law was given 1400 BC, Moses gets the Ten Commandments, and through hundreds of years, the Jews in thought, word, and deed break the Ten Commandments more than they keep the Ten Commandments, so that by the time 1 AD comes along and Jesus is born in the manger, they know they need a redeemer. So when the Old Testament law had done its work of condemning the world of sin, but the second thing uh, fullness of time may mean is a reference to the Pax Romana, the Roman peace. In 1 AD, there was political peace all over the Roman Empire. And the Roman Empire stretched from England all the way through Europe, even to Northern Africa. There was one common language. And now the Romans who were real builders, they built roads all over the kingdom. So if the gospel was to come out 
uh, when it did, it would spread all over the kingdom, all over the empire, and it did. So, when the fullness of time had come, when the Old Testament did its work, when the Roman peace was ruling the world, that is when God sent forth his son. Next words. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son. Notice, it does not say God created his son. He sent him forth, implying Christ's pre-existence before the foundation of the world. If you've ever had Jehovah's Witnesses at your door, they will teach you, no, Jesus is not eternal. He's not God. Jesus is a creature. God the Father created Jesus at a point in time. That's not what Galatians 4.4 says. It says God sent forth his Son. The Bible teaches that Jesus is God, one God with the Father and the Holy Spirit. And we get this from John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word. That's Jesus. The Word was with God. The Word was God. And then the Word became flesh and became a human being. So if you've got the Jehovah's Witnesses at your door, it's kind of easy to remember three things. Romans 1, excuse me, John 1, Colossians 1, Hebrews 1. All three of those chapters teach Jesus is the eternal God. Next words, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son. Next words, born of a woman. That, of course, is the Virgin Mary. The point here is God really became a man. The eternal God actually squeezed down into the body of a baby and became a human being. Every true Christian church, be they Catholic, Orthodox, Methodist, Presbyterian, Baptist, non-denominational, every true Christian church teaches two things. Jesus is fully God and Jesus is fully man. And every cult messes with that. Next words, Jesus was born under the law. In other words, Jesus was born a little Jewish boy. He grew up under the Ten Commandments and all the do's and don'ts of the Old Testament. And the only person to perfectly fulfill the Jewish law was Jesus. Next words, he, he, he was born under the law so that he might redeem those who were under the law. Notice that teaches you and I were under the law too. Um, the Jews were under the written law of God, the Old Testament. But we non-Jews, we also were under the law of God because Paul writes in Romans 2 that God had written his laws on our heart. So everybody deep down knows there's a God. Everybody deep down knows right and wrong. And everybody has broken God's right and wrong law. So we need a redeemer. <laughs> and now we get to the, the first great word uh, from this text. Jesus redeemed those who were under the law. Let me define the word redemption. The word redemption comes from the ancient Roman slave trade when they'd buy slaves. And many of the early Christians were slaves and they dreamed that one day their redeemer would come along. A redeemer, here's the definition. Redeem means to pay a price to set a slave free. In other words, I'm hoping somebody will come and pay my price to my master so I can become a free man. That's what Jesus did for us. To redeem means he paid a price to set us free. Now, I make pottery as a hobby. This happened years ago, but it happened again. <laughs> I'm at a garage sale, 
and I, I've made a lot of pottery and people all over the place have it. I'm at a garage sale and here's a piece of pottery that I made, I don't know, 15 years ago. And the lady had a dollar on it. So I gave her a dollar and I bought it back. I redeemed my bowl. To, to redeem means you pay a price to set something free. Uh, when Jesus died on the cross, he was paying our sin debt to set us free. There's a story that back in 1794, when the reign of terror had overtaken Paris, people were being guillotined and had their heads taken off, hundreds, probably thousands of people. Robespierre was the tyrant. The dungeons of Paris were full. An old man is thrown into the dungeon and he's walking around. And who does he see leaning against the wall asleep but his son, who was scheduled to be executed the next day? The father went over, didn't wake his son up, knelt, laid next to him. In the morning, the guard walked into the cell and said, John Simone de Loiserolle, come forth. The father was awake. The son didn't wake up. The father jumped up and said, I am he. The guard said, says, John Simone, age 37. The old man said, no, no, I'm 73. The guard says, okay, mistake, crossed him out. The old man was taken, guillotined, and within a few days, a Robespierre was overthrown, the prisons are open, and the young man said, what? Why, why didn't I get executed? And he learned about a man that stood up and took his place. And what, what did he look like? And he heard his father described. And he went out of that jail, a free man. <laughs> when you say the words, Jesus is my redeemer, here's what you mean. I'm a sinner, guilty of my sins before God, but Jesus came and took the punishment of God so God could forgive myself and my sins so I could be free. Last words, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law that we might receive, the last word, adoption as sons. The great word, second great word is adoption. And that word means we did not start out as children of God. <laughs> you know, people say, we're all God's children. No, we're not. We're all God's creatures. God made everybody, but we're not all God's children. In fact, in Ephesians chapter 2, the apostle Paul says we all start out as children of God's wrath. Uh, Ephesians 2, 3, we were by nature children of wrath. And you know what Jesus calls the Pharisees in John chapter 8? You are of your father, the devil. <laughs> so we start out as children of God's wrath, children of the devil. And if we're going to be children of God, we're going to have to be adopted. And let me just close by, by telling you a true story. In the early 1900s, there was a little eight-year-old orphan dressed in dirty rags who, who sold newspapers in downtown Chicago. Well, one day this orphan wanders away from downtown into the wealthy district. He finds himself standing in front of a beautifully manicured green lawn, huge mountain on the hill, huge mansion on the hill. And he looks up, oh, would I like to live in that house? And then the little boy found himself on the lawn, oh, would I like to play here? And before what he 
he knew what he'd done. He was standing on the porch, and he rang the doorbell. A uh, distinguished man answered the door, Yes, son, can I help you? Oh, mister, do you own this house? Why, yes, I do. Well, do you have a little boy? Why, no, son, Mrs. Lowry and I don't have any children. And the little boy reached into his pocket and he says, Well, mister, here's, here's seven pennies. It's all the money I have in the world. But why don't you take it, and I'll come be your boy, and you can be my dad, and I can live in your house. The man says, honey, come down here. I want you to see this. And a very regal-looking woman descended the stairway. Yes. Well, this little boy, he says his name is Lucky, and he wants to come be our son. What do you think? They took the little boy inside the house and fell in love with him. That week, they took him down to the county courthouse, adopted him as their own son, brought him back into their mansion. They threw away his rags. They gave him a bath, gave him a new set of clothes. And that little boy on the porch went on to become one of the most prominent doctors in Chicago, Dr. Lucas Lowry. <laughs> and that's what Jesus did for you and me. We were sinners standing before God and God says, I'll take you in. And he washed us of our sins. He gave us a new set of clothes. It's called the righteousness of Christ. And now we are adopted. Let's put it all together. But when the fullness of time had come, when everything was just right, when the Old Testament showed us we needed a Savior, when the Romans had established peace, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, didn't create the Son, God sent forth the eternal Son of God, born of a woman, God truly became human, born under the law, He was a perfect Jewish boy, in order that He might redeem, pay the price for those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. Amen. Welcome to the portion of the pastor study where we now ask Pastor Brock to share with us his knowledge of scripture and his insights to answer questions we have regarding the Bible, our Lord, and our everyday walk with him. Pastor Brock, do you think the Roman Empire was aware of the fact that Jesus was born? Uh, the Roman, uh, Caesar Augustus was the Caesar when Jesus was born. And Jackie, Jesus was probably born somewhere between 6 and 4 BC, not 1 AD because there was a calendar error. Um, so when Jesus was born, Caesar Augustus, Caesar Augustus had no idea that Jesus was born. King Herod, the Jewish king in Palestine, he knew about it because those th the Magi showed up, if you remember that story. But I don't think Caesar had a clue that his empire was about to be invaded by the savior of the world. Yeah. And Yet he had advisors and things? Well, you know, uh, yeah, but they were pagans. But what's interesting, Jesus had to be born in Bethlehem. And if you read Luke chapter 2, Caesar Augustus declares a decree through the whole world that the world should be taxed. So Mary and Joseph have to go to Bethlehem because that's their city so they could be taxed. So without even knowing it, Caesar Augustus is an unwitting agent to get the book of Micah fulfilled to get Joseph and Mary on, uh, in Jerusalem on time, in Bethlehem on time. Now, again, he didn't know that, but God works through people that don't know that he's working through them. <laughs> and it's interesting because one is Old Testament and the birth of Christ is New Testament. Yes, it's the perfect fulfillment. Yeah. Why did God give the Ten Commandments to the Jews? Yeah. 
Well, why did God give the law, his law, or the Ten Commandments? And there's a three-fold reason that God gave us the law. Number one was to curb sin. The reason we have laws in America and all over the world is to put a curb on sin and to keep order in society. The second reason was to show us how we break the law in thought, word, and deed, and we need a savior. And then some people believe in what's called the third use of the law, that once you are saved and a, and a believer in Christ, it then is your guide on how to live your life. So as a, to keep order, to show us our need of Christ, and to be a guide. Okay. So are the Ten Commandments still valid today? They are. Now, <coughs> I get emails from Seventh-day Adventists who insist that you have to worship on Saturday, which is what the Jews did, not on Sunday, or you're violating the Ten Commandments. You know what's interesting, Jackie? The only commandment of the Ten Commandments that is not reiterated in the New Testament is the Sabbath commandment. Christians in the book of Acts, they're worshiping on the first day of the week, which is the day Sunday, the day Jesus rose from the dead. Well, what got these dyed-in-the-wool Jews, who, who were Christians at this point, some of them, to stop worshiping on the Sabbath and to start worshiping on Sunday. Something big had to happen, the resurrection of Christ. So I think it's important we keep the principle of uh, observing one day a week where we rest and enjoy God, but I don't think we have to maintain that it has to be Saturday. Okay, so then are Christians today obligated to keep those Old Testament laws? Uh, here's the thing. the the moral law of the Old Testament, yes. Don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't kill. But Jackie, the ceremonial law, which is killing lambs when you sin, you have to wear certain kinds of clothing and can't wear others, you can't eat pork. Jesus did away with this. When Jesus died on the cross, he fulfilled the ceremonial and dietary laws of the Jews, so you can have a hot dog, Jackie. And, Rome, and Max, Mark 7 says you're not sinning by eating pork. Some of those Old Testament laws, if you read the Old Testament, were given just to the Jews to make them different. But, but Jackie, I've got to say one more thing. <laughs> one, one way that people, the liberals in the churches, have pushed homosexuality is by saying this. Well, in the Old Testament, you couldn't eat pork, and we eat pork. Uh, and you couldn't wear a tweed suit, two different kinds of thread on your... So um, we're not keeping those. So homosexuality is okay now too. Wrong! J Jackie, again, those were the ceremonial laws, the moral law. I mean, Jackie, in Leviticus that condemns homosexuality, it also condemns rape and incest and bestiality. Are those okay now too? See, Jesus came to fulfill the, the ceremonial and dietary laws but the moral law of the Old Testament is still in force. But sadly, you have pastors getting up and talking about pork and your tweed suit, thinking that's the way we're going to put the homosexuality into the church. And in some denominations, they won. Oh, that's sad, Pastor yeah. Rock. So where does the Bible actually teach that Jesus is God? Okay, there's a bunch. The easy three to remember, I said in my sermon, John chapter 1, Jesus was God and became flesh. Hebrews chapter 1, where God the Father calls Jesus God. And then Colossians chapter 1, that talks about Jesus being... Uh, in, in the fullness of God dwelt in Jesus in bodily form. That's Colossians 1 and 2. Those are some of them, but there's lots more. For instance, Philippians chapter 2. 
Jesus, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself, took the form of a servant. So Jesus was God, but he didn't just cling to that. He actually came down to earth and became a human. So, and there's, there's a number of verses in the Old, New Testament that teach that Jesus is God. You know, Pastor Brock, in the New Testament, there's uh, titles given to some of the books, like Philippians is the book of joy and things mm -hmm. like that. Mm -hmm. Where did that all come from? Well, uh, yeah, that's a good question. Like, it never says Philippians is the book of joy. That's somebody adding their thought. So was well, that theolo theologians that came yeah, up with yeah. that? Yeah, and or? if you look in your, your literal Bibles, I like the King, I like the best, the uh, RS, the ESV, English Standard Version, or the New American Standard, it never says, it, it might say in some versions, the epistle or the letter to the Ephesians, the epistle of joy, but, the, but Paul doesn't say that. That's why I like a really good literal translation. And w when Paul wrote the, uh, most of the New Testament letters, uh, he was writing different churches, or wrote, he wrote Timothy, a young preacher. So these were letters that were collected, that were okay. inspired. Where does the Bible teach that Jesus is man? Um, well, uh, John chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word, that's Jesus. The Word was with God, the Word was God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. There, that's probably the clearest one, that God, Jesus, became flesh. But Jackie, when it says Jesus wept, he slept, he ate, he slept, he, you know, uh, he, Jesus did everything that, that a man does in the New Testament except for one thing, he never sinned. But other than that, he, all those things about what he did, he was a true man. He also rose from the dead, though. He rose from the dead, <laughs> which okay. we don't do until the end. Right. Yeah. So what cults deny that Jesus is God and man? Okay. Because yeah. there are some that are... Yes. The way you can spot a cult often is they play with the Trinity. Now, the Jehovah's Witnesses at your door will tell you the word Trinity is not in the Bible. It's of the devil. My response is, okay, the word Trinity is not in the Bible. The concept of the Trinity, one God in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, is in the Bible. You know, you can, you can find the Trinity in the first paragraph of the Bible. God created the Father, the Spirit of God was moving over the face of the waters, the Holy Spirit, and God said, let there be light. The, the Word of God there is Jesus. And Jackie, Jesus' last words on earth were, go baptize in the name singular of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So the church has always taught that there's only one God, but in God are three eternal persons, the Father who made us, the Son who died for us, the Holy Spirit who lives in us. So what cults okay. deny that? So the, the Jehovah's Witnesses deny it. The Mormons don't believe in one God. They believe in thousands of gods. The Mormons don't believe God is eternal. The Mormons think God was a man on another planet who became a god. It's a strange religion. If you're a good Mormon, you can become a god and get a planet to worship you. This is Mormonism. So uh, Jehovah's Witness, let me just list uh, the other cults quickly. Jehovah's Witness, Mormons, Christian Science, the Unity Church, uh, the United Pentecostals, I mean, they're called the Jesus-only churches. They believe that Jesus is God, but not the Father and the Spirit. It's, it's, it's three different temporary manifestations of God instead of three equal persons and eternal persons. Um, those are the major cults uh, right now, yeah. Okay. When Jesus paid a redemptive, 
redemption price. Who did he pay that to? Good. You know, that's a question that's fun to ask people. You know, you, ask, you have a, a Bible study and you say, did Jesus die on the cross to pay for our sins? Yes. Well, who did he pay to? And often you get, well, he paid the devil. <laughs> and you don't want to say that. God didn't owe the devil anything. What, what Jesus was paying when he died on the cross, he was paying our sin debt to the holiness of God. God is the one who was offended by our sin. So God is the one who had to be propitiated, had, his, had our his at wrath turned away and so God the Father punished Jesus in our place for our sins. He was paying God. Okay. What do the various churches teach about Mary? Uh-huh. If you're a Roman Catholic you believe that Mary was immaculately conceived. Uh, that means that she was born without sin. Now, all Christians believe in what's called the virgin birth of Christ, that Jesus was born without sin. For a Catholic they believe that for, Jesus, for Mary to not pass on sin to Jesus, she also had to be perfect. That's the Catholic view. The Protestant view, and I, I remember raising my hand when I was 12, and, and the pastor said, well, but think about it. If Mary had to be perfect to get out of perfect Jesus, then Mary's mother had to be perfect to get out of perfect. It goes all the way back to Eve, and it doesn't work. So Catholic, uh, Protestants believe that Mary was a wonderful woman, but that she was a sinner also in need of redemption. Uh, the Orthodox Church, uh, we had that Orthodox TV show, he taught that the Orthodox Church believes that Mary uh, was sinless, I believe, but they don't have a doctrine of her immaculate conception. So those are the three views of Mary in the Church. You know, when you go between different bodies or churches, there's so many different teachings that contradict each other. Mm -hmm. How does a person dissect yeah. those and decide what yeah. is right? Right. And you know, I just had this talk with a friend yesterday and we were talking about different teachings and, and I said, you know what I do? I just read my Bible. I don't read Luther much. I don't read the Catholic Catechism because I'm not Catholic. You know, I'm not saying anything's wrong with that. Uh, God provides ch teachers for the church. But Jackie, go. Uh, everybody watching this, on your iPhone, get Bible.is. It's a free app, and you can lay in bed, and it'll just read the Bible to you, the whole Bible. I'm up through the prophets now, Jackie. Just lay in bed when you can't sleep. You push the button, and it reads the Bible. I like to immerse myself in the Bible, and then I know I'm going to be safe. And yes, Christians disagree on baptism and Mary and other things, but the main things we have in common, and that's why I just like to stick with the Bible. Okay. There you know, there are things that we're never going to understand, yeah. though. Is it okay to walk past those yeah. and go on, or do you have to try to figure it out? Well, I think, I think we should diligently study it. But you remember old Pastor Maynard Forrest, uh, he's gone to be with the Lord. He used to say, when I come across a difficulty in Scripture, I look at it, I study it, but often I just have to tip my hat to it, walk around, and keep reading. <laughs> Thanks for being with us today. We pray that God would be with you this week, granting you his richest blessings until we're together again next time. Thank you for watching the Pastor Study. You can watch more of our programs at pastorstudy.org. We are on the air preaching the gospel of Christ because of our generous support of you, our viewers. Would you consider supporting our ministry? 
you may do so at pastorstudy.org. Or write The Pastor Study, P.O. Box 41294, Minneapolis, Minnesota 55441. May the blessing of our one triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit be with you today and always.